Well, if you didn't know, last week, uh, Melissa and I and Levi and Grace, we had the opportunity to get out of town. And many of you are going like, are you more tan or what's going on? How did Cabo go? Well, how many of you have been to Cabo? Like, I never knew what it was until I moved from the Midwest. That was a great place to go, especially at a great resort and just to park, to park for seven days. So thanks for your prayers. I missed you. I actually watched service last week in a hammock on my phone from Cabo. I thought, that's pretty cool, right? And a special kind of worship last week. And um, it was so cool to have Dr. Hall here. And if you missed last week, go and watch it. But uh, just great to have uh, the president of one of our universities, uh, Simpson University in Redding, California, with us. It's so great to be a part of a much broader church family of what God's doing around the world. And uh, I am so glad that he was able to come and share with you and give you hope about taking initiative to be bold in your faith and to step out. And so you can just continue to put his message into practice. We've been in a series in First Peter, but from last week with Dr. Hall being here and this being Palm Sunday and next week Easter, we're sort of setting that series aside. We're going to come back to it. But we do focus here this morning on Palm Sunday. And uh, I remember the first Sunday that I was here at this church a few years ago, and I was uh, just new to Southern California from the Midwest. So the idea that I could be speaking on Palm Sunday in California that had palm trees was pretty huge to me. And I remember going and having somebody bring me a big fan palm, and I stood up and I waved it back and forth, and people were like, this is our new pastor. Great. That's going to be a really interesting journey. I was real close to bringing up a palm branch today, but I chose not to because maybe you would think, you know, come on, you've been here a while now, Pastor Kerry. You really should get used to the palm branches. And don't you have like six nice palm trees in your backyard? And the answer is yes, I do. But you know, it's interesting being here for these years and getting used to palm trees. Sometimes Melissa and I will say to ourselves, there's palm trees. We live in a place where there's palm trees. That's, that's warm area, right? It was definitely warm this week, without question. And it's like you feel like you're supposed to be in vacation mode when you see palm trees. Well, I'm still not used to palm trees, and I'm glad I have some on my property, and we have some around the church property and that kind of thing. But when we say it's Palm Sunday, for a lot of people it connects with why it's Palm Sunday, but maybe it doesn't fully connect with you. And so we're going to walk through the Palm Sunday story, the importance of it, and start setting up all that happens in the Passion Week. Because there's something critical that's happening in our culture today that I want to address, and maybe it's tainted and soiled you in your own personal life. And what it is, is that we have got distracted in so many ways by all the pomp and all the celebration and all the celebrity kind of focus that we have ourselves moved into a state of, can I say this, consumerism as relates to the Christian faith. What's in it for me? But Palm Sunday shows a heart, a heart in the people of that day, that it wasn't to be about them, at least that's what God's intent. It was to be about Jesus Christ. 
When we sing, we will sing his praise through all the days. Friends, that's true this morning. Maybe you don't even believe in God and you're just sort of trying to get that thing figured out in your life if there is a God or what place he might have in your life. Friends, we are spiritual beings who are having a human experience. We are not human beings that just try to have spiritual experiences around. We're, foremostly, we were created at conception to have life. And that life was a spirit. And that spirit will live forever, eternally. And we will be clothed with new bodies someday if we're followers of Jesus. And we will sing his praise forever. Isaiah the prophet had a vision of the eternal day. Would somebody speak about it at a men's group a few weeks back? And he saw the Lord high and seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple, and the, and the cherubim were shouting and declaring to one another, Holy, 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 the whole earth is full of his glory. And you know what it says there in that Isaiah 6 passage when that uh, he was caught up in the rapturous of this is what our eternity is? He, he fell face down and he says, Lord, I am a man of unclean lips and I, I, I'm just, I'm a mess. I'm an ugly person. Worship is our destiny. And it's not about us. It's about him. And Palm Sunday gives us this glimpse of worshiping the King of kings and the Lord of lords as Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on that day that should capture our heart afresh, not just every year that we celebrate Palm Sunday and Easter, but every single day of our life because we are spiritual beings who are destined to worship and serve the Lord Jesus Christ forever. And I know there's going to be an Eagle Church family reunion day, a gathering up there. I don't know, maybe a, a few months in. And we'll say, hey, everybody, you know, it's interesting today. Actually, I got a text right before service. Some of you know, uh, Melissa and I, we started a church in Indianapolis, Indiana, right after we uh, got married, and that church went fairly well. Today, that church, Eagle Church in Indianapolis, Indiana, in Zionsville, is celebrating their 30th anniversary of Sunday morning service. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it was 30 years ago we had our first Sunday morning service. So if you're watching from Indiana, great, celebrate well. But you're like, my goodness, how the time kind of thing moves on us. And I want to celebrate with people I journeyed with then. I want to celebrate with people I journey with now. And I, I want us all to gather together when we're in heaven, in the eternal realm somehow, and you know what I want us to do? Not just worship. I, I want us to think back on these days. Just like Eagle Church in Zionsville was thinking back on the early days and their recent days. We have our own anniversaries here kind of thing. And I'm thinking, you know, how, how do we reflect? Oh, yeah. Remember when? Remember, remember when God moved us? Uh, from that place to this place, and those people came, and that life was changed, and this transition happened, and God was faithful. We will look back on these days with fondness, even though there may be some difficulties and challenges. 
we get to do this. We get to be a part of Christ's body and worship and honor and praise Him. It's about Him. It's not about us. And when we gather, whether in eternity or we gather here every week, it's important for us to center ourselves on the person of Jesus Christ. And on a Palm Sunday, when we look at them singing hosannas and praises to Him, we need to understand that this is our calling, it's our destiny, and it also needs to be our conviction in our own personal Christian life. So whether you're a long-term Jesus follower or just checking God out, you need to move from self-centered consumerism to a heart that's passionate about the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And sometimes we do well in that journey, and sometimes we stumble. Other times are good seasons. But I'm committed to us as a church, as I know our whole staff is, and being able to have worship foremost because Christ needs to be foremost in all of our lives. So with that, I want to take us to the Palm Sunday story. Some of you know that Palm Sunday um, is a very unique kind of thing. It actually reflects on an Old Testament passage of Scripture where it talked about the Messiah coming as a humble servant riding on a donkey. And Jesus ended up fulfilling this. He moved his way into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city of probably about 80,000, 90,000 people at that time. It swelled up much bigger during certain festivities, all right? But there's a lot of different kinds of people in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem has this very unique place in Scripture and will also have a place in eternity. And so it's Jerusalem where Jesus rides into on a donkey and they begin basically the preparation for what will be his crucifixion later in the week. It says this in the New Living Translation. After telling this story, Jesus told us parable, and a, the Palm Sunday story is told in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to look at Luke and a little bit of uh, Matthew here this morning. But after telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples as he came to the towns of Bethphage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples ahead of him. If you've been to Israel uh, and you've been to Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives is on the eastern side of Jerusalem. And Jesus would have come up through that way, through the hills and the hollers from Sea of Galilee down, came up through Bethany and Bethphage, and he entered in to the Mount of Olives, which was a beautiful garden, is also where the Garden of Gethsemane ended up being. And he is coming upon Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a city upon uh, a hill. But when you come up through that way, so the Mount of Olives, you're going to go down into, I think it's the Kidron Valley there, and then you come up to the Eastern Gate and you see all the beauty. And at that time, it's not like today because the temple doesn't exist today. Uh, there's the Dome of the Rock, a mosque that's actually on the temple uh, grounds there, and another mosque. But in that day, the incredible Solomon's Temple is just incredibly beautiful, massive. And so here's Jesus. He comes in and he sees Jerusalem. And what does he do? He says this to his disciples. He says, go into that village over there where he was before he headed into Jerusalem. As you enter, you will see a young donkey 
tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying that colt? Just say, the Lord needs it. Now, I don't know if that strikes you as very weird or not, but if I told you to go out of here and pick out the nicest car in the parking lot and hijack it, and if the owner comes up, just say, hey, the Lord needs it. I'm sorry. <laughs> what would you do? You'd go, oh, my gosh, that's nuts. That's crazy, right? Well, he was fulfilling this prophecy, and God had gone ahead and worked on the owner of uh, the donkey and the colt. And so that was what was transpiring at that time because Jesus... He wanted to come riding into Jerusalem on a big-time limousine with a whole entourage. Is that what he did? No. You know, this is the only recorded time that it says that Jesus rode. Every other place is he walked. And that's what you did during that day. You walked. And, you know, maybe the, the broken or, you know, uh, some difficulties of, you know, you would ride. You just didn't do a lot of that. You would walk. So here he is coming in for what he knows is his final week. He knows what stands before him. He knows who he is as God himself come in the flesh to be able to redeem the world. And he is heavy with heart, not for himself as much as for Jerusalem and the people. But when he chooses to come in, he doesn't, you know, come in with a big splash. You know, in those days, if the, the conquerors, the leaders of the armies or the governments that were in control, they would come riding in on what? A horse, a war horse, a war horse and uh, chariots and other kinds of things. They would come and, oh, my goodness, get back. Whoa, pretty big deal. I mean, you still do it sometimes. Maybe, I don't know, it's getting to be more commonplace. You see a big limousine and somebody drives like, oh, I wonder who's important there. Or maybe a big uh, uh, bus that has, you know, a touring band or something. on. Like, oh, wow, there where it goes, right? You know, it's like they're coming in. Jesus picks a donkey. He doesn't even pick a mule. What's the value? And you, he was showing that his entrance was not wonder one of splendor and glory now. But true to his character and who God is, he came in as a humble servant. And so he says, hey, go find this donkey. I'm going to take a ride into town on it. Like, okay, okay. So they went and they found the colt, just as Jesus had said. And sure enough, as they were untying it, the owner asked them, why are you stealing my colt? He says, why are you untying the colt? And the disciples simply replied, the Lord needs it. Good enough. So they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it for him to ride on. As he rode along, the crowd spread out their garments on the road ahead of him. When he reached the place where the road started down, the Mount of Olives, all of his followers began to shout and sing as they walked along, praising God and all the wonderful miracles they had seen. So he's got his followers. He's picking up some other kinds of people along his way. This is maybe an uneventful day in the Roman government at the time, but who's this guy coming through the Kidron Valley on this donkey? He's trying to play make-believe that he's somebody maybe important, or what are these people gathering around him? But as they began to gather around him, they began to really worship him and declare 
a celebrity status upon him. Hosanna means save us now. Why? Because the Israelites, the Jewish people, had been oppressed by the Romans. They had been promised a Messiah from long ago, and they kept waiting, waiting, waiting. When's our Messiah coming? Remember, there was 400 years of scriptural silence before Jesus was born, right? Before the Gospels. And so they carried this through hundreds of years and millenniums that there would be a Messiah, a Savior. And here Jesus comes, high, high expectations. This is the ultimate pick, draft pick by God, to be able to set us free from the Roman oppression and to get us into our glory days. Our golden years await us. The times arrived. And so they began to proclaim, and they said, Blessings on the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heavens. Now, in Matthew, it records it this way. It says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed him, they shouted. Now, what you have here, which you didn't have in uh, the other synoptic passage, was it wasn't just their cloaks and their coats, but they actually cut the branches from the trees. And so this is where the Palm Sunday kind of idea comes from. But, you know, it wasn't just the palm branches that are being waved and being thrown down. It was the coats and the cloaks. Actually, sometimes I wonder, why don't we call this not Palm Sunday, but Cloak Sunday or Coat Sunday, right? Why didn't we pick the palm branches, right? Maybe it's because of the waving, that kind of thing. But what were they doing here? Well, it's just, you know, generations come and go, but humanity really never changes. They were all wanting sort of a piece of this incredible moment of trying to celebrate new celebrity coming into town. That, yes, their hopes were embedded in him, but they wanted a bit of the piece of the action. And just like you have red carpet rollouts today for movie stars at premieres or other kinds of things, there was this idea of of rolling out the red carpet and so branches would be put down and then the cloaks would be put down. Because... I don't know, you ever been to something special in your life and you have a memento? Trust me, I went to Cabo, I got nothing. That's fine, my kids did, that's great. I don't enjoy that shopping world or not even some of that bartering kind of stuff. I had a Cabo shirt from a time before when I was on a cruise ship there. I'm good with the one Cabo shirt, right? But you get a, a memento or a token or, or maybe it was something like a really a special event or like you take your kid to a ball game, right? And, and oh my goodness, he actually catches a foul ball and you got the ball and, and you take the ball and you put it in your kid's room and it's like, man, remember when we went to the ball game and yeah, there, there's, that's the ball that's from there. Or maybe somebody had a special uh, thing that was signed and autographed by somebody. Or maybe you shook the hand of somebody. What did you do? It's like, ah, I'm not going to wash that hand, man. That shook the hand of so-and-so. Well, this is sort of what happened with the cloaks and the coats. I'm going to take off my coat. I'm going to throw it down. Here he comes. And the donkey steps all over the coat. Dirt and dust and all, you know, and it, it goes on past, and you pick up the coat, and you go, wow, here's the, here's the coat that, that Jesus wore on. You see, this was sort of a big deal day. And 
it made notice to a lot of the people. You see, it's a large crowd. There's a crowd gathering. It's a, uh, what we would see is a massive crowd. It's not like, hey, everybody parks their cars and gets out, you know, salutes maybe an officer that passed away or something else. I mean, these people were walking, and so they would gather, and when they would get into to tight kind of situations, and it was such a big event on that Palm Sunday, seven days before Easter, that it was the buzz around uh, the cooler, the water cooler at work the next day. Hey, were you there? I was walking around. Yeah, the crowd. We all gathered, and here came Jesus. Came, you know. I threw my coat down. Man, it's my coat. He did the donkey. I. If you got the footprints on it, and it's dusty, I'm gonna hang that up. I'm gonna keep that. Not gonna touch that. Not gonna wash that. That's pretty cool. It was a big deal when Jesus came in to town, and they celebrated there would be hoped for Messiah was now going to change and alter things. There was a buzz in the crowd. And it carried on. Friends and neighbors say, hey, were you there? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I was standing down the way at that crossing and then up there a little bit on the hill. I saw it all. That was pretty cool. Another person say, hey, I was here. Yeah, I threw my coat down too and that kind of stuff. Can you capture some of the event of this and all the high hopes? But... It's interesting, you know, they were there, the crowd, and they were celebrating and declaring forth, you know, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heavens. I mean, they were joined in. They were singing. They were praising this hoped-for would-be Messiah. Jesus entered Jerusalem. The whole city was stirred, and they ask, who is this? Verse 11 of Matthew 21 says, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the, pro- the, Nazareth, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. You see, he'd been heard, people had heard about him, and now he appears in presence, and, and, and the crowds are gathering around, and they're all dialed in to the big event. You know, it's said that, I, it's hard for me to believe this statistic today, but it, it's said that upwards to 80% of people in America identify in one way uh, with Christian. But I'm not so sure what that really means. You see, there's favorability to the belief in God and in Jesus Christ but you don't really see a culture where there's 80% of people on their face worshiping and realizing who God is. And that is because we are a culture of crowds. And we like to have our attention drawn to special spectacle kind of events Crowds uh, give broad support, but crowds also are easily swayed. And so they were excited about this event that we now call Palm Sunday. And there were many around for the spectacle of that day. Crowds 
seemingly supportive. But it would be just a few days later that the crowds changed. The crowds changed, and they were no longer declaring the praise of Jesus. But they were saying what? They were saying, crucify, crucify him. Well, well why is that? Why did the crowd change? Now, some people would say, well, he had his followers that were in the crowd, and they weren't the ones that were saying crucify him on Friday. But, you know, I'm not so sure about that. Maybe they would have taken a few steps back. But when you look at the record of Scripture and this idea of, of Jesus and, and all that uh, he brought to the, the hopes of the people, I think there's probably a lot of people that were in the crowd on Sunday that are also in the crowd on Friday. And those who were declaring Hosanna to him in the highest on Sunday were also swayed because they're just a part of a crowd that has broad, sort of bland, small, little support. They were swayed and they started saying, crucify him, crucify him. So why do people get swayed? Why do we find ourselves sometimes just waiting for the next event to celebrate in our Christian life? Oh, I got to get to that concert, or I got to get to that holiday, or I had this moving spiritual experience. And you find people go up and down and up and down with their Christian life because it's based many a times on emotions and based on that consumerism of what's in it for me. Oh, here's the Messiah, our longed hope for a king. Oh, it's not really panning out. He really didn't come in on a war horse, that's true. He walked into the temple, and he just sort of looked around and walked out. Do you realize that if you take Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and um, let me talk about it some a little bit on Good Friday service. I, the book I read while I was uh, in Cabo was a book called The Mystery of the Lord's Supper and talked about the chronology of the events and the whole understanding of historically when it happened and all that was going on. And it was sort of fun to climb back into some of the, the deeper kind of reading in that world. But that course from Sunday through to Friday, there was a lot of disappointment that got built up. This Jesus, the prophet from Galilee, from Nazareth in Galilee, he's not panning out. He's not doing what I wanted him to do. Well, I'm not so sure about this guy. Now look at him. He just, he just gave himself up to when those Romans walked into the garden. From what I understand, I, I don't know. You ever been there? Got yourself into this Christian gig and it didn't turn out to be what you thought it might be? Could it be that you were in it for yourself and not in it for Christ? And so you have to move from a consumerism to a place of genuine worship for who God is because Jesus will continue to surprise you in many, many ways. I was privy to some life events this week that did not make sense for some people. But all we know is that you trust God 
Because God can work in all things, even in brokenness and suffering and disappointments. It's not about us. It's about him. And it's about what he's doing in our lives. But if you're just a part of the crowd, the Christian crowd, it's going to come and go. In fact, you'll, you'll chuck the whole Jesus thing for long seasons of your life and just say, hey, you know, I'm fine, I'm good. But Jesus, he knows what our destiny is. And he loves us dearly and deeply. And he doesn't want us bringing any of that broken, sinful self-centeredness into the eternal realm beginning today. And so he will disappoint us. He will challenge us. And we need to make sure that we're just not part of the crowd who gives broad support, but easily swayed. We need to make sure that we're a part of not being a fan in the stage or in the grandstands, but actually being players in the game who are walking with our intended purpose, which is to love and serve the purposes of Christ. And there will come an event in your life or season in your life where this is a gut check. Why am I following Jesus or have an interest in Jesus? These crowds from Palm Sunday, there were people in those crowds that were also in the crowd on Good Friday. And that Good Friday crowd was swayed. And swayed by three things, if I could just mention these. The crowds had broad support, but easily swayed. And, and, and you have to ask yourself, how do we get from Monday to a Friday? Well, I think there's three things that I can encourage us with today or actually cause us to take deep reflection, and there's these. There's distorted truths. There's powerful voices. And there's foolish choices that get us from Palm Sunday to Good Friday crowds. Distorted truths. Do you know in John chapter 2, it's referenced that Jesus, um, in verse 18, the Jews responded to him, what sign do you show us to prove your authority to do all this? And Jesus said in, in John 2, 19, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. So John records that early on. He records that early on. But then, do you know that one of the things that were accused or, or thrown out as an accusation to Jesus was that statement that he said earlier on in his life? In Matthew 26, verse 60. They were in the middle of the trial with the whole Sanhedrins, and they were looking for false evidence to throw against Jesus so that they could put him to death, it said. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow, this Jesus, yeah. He said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. They went and grabbed a hold of a statement he had said earlier on about destroy this temple and I'll raise it up again in three days. They took that and they distorted that truth to say, this Jesus, he said he's going to tear down this whole temple 
and the gall of him. He says he can build the temple back in three days. Is that what Jesus said? No. That wasn't the truth, right? The best truth is, 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 I mean, the best lie normally is when you grab a hold of a truth and then you distort it and twist it. And here's this false accusation that comes out. He did not say, I'm going to destroy the temple building and then I'm going to build it back. He said, you destroyed this temple, talking about himself. And then he said, I will raise it in three days. And we know that's exactly what Jesus did. And what we celebrate next Easter is Jesus himself, who was put to death on a Friday, three days later, he raises himself, a dead man, raises his himself back to life. That was his prophetic word. But it was distorted truth and used as false evidence to accuse him by the Sanhedrin, who was the religious court, the Jewish religious court, and to put him not just on trial, but ultimately to be handed over to the Romans then to be crucified. And this is what happens when you're a part of the crowds merely sometimes, is that you're swayed, you're easily swayed by distorted truth. I don't know. Is God really that way? Or, or I, I thought Jesus was for me in some things, but maybe it's not like I thought. And, and you get confused. You get confused because truth issues are distorted. This is why it's so critical. And we see it happening in the news all the time, right? Or, or on TV shows where, where there's a false evidence that's given. Or there's something that's true that's con uh, distorted to be a lie. And then there's accusations that come from it. And we live in this culture where there's bantering and accusation flying from all kinds of different directions. And it's not from two different sides of the aisles. It's from all different kinds of pockets of people and cultures and groupings as we become more divided in a country that why are we divided we should be united we're all human beings you know made in the image of God but this is the work of Satan is to divide people and to get distorted truth out there to bring divisiveness and we have to work really hard to press our way through to understanding what truth is to test truth to look back into it discover it for ourselves even because there is truth absolute truth. And Jesus claimed that he was the truth. Distorted truth. What else happened to the crowd from Monday that changed on Friday? Well, there were powerful voices. There were powerful voices that began articulating. If you go on to chapter 17, early in the morning, or 27 in Matthew Early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders and the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. So they bound him and led him away and handed him over to Pilate the governor. Now, what do you find in the middle of that? What you find in the middle of that are loud voices, the chief priest, the elders, ultimately then became... The voices in the crowds themselves, somebody that's maybe bombastic or swayed things. And these voices are pressing against the people in the Sunday crowd to change their opinion amidst the Friday crowd. And I believe many move that direction. And so also for us today, there are loud voices, powerful voices of influence 
Who are we listening to when it comes to truth and an understanding of hope and purpose and meaning in life? I always get discouraged sometimes when I hear somebody going through a difficult season of life. Maybe it's a, a troubled marriage. Maybe it's uh, a problem with uh, somebody in the family. Maybe it's some brokenness that happened in another relationship. And I, I want to ask, who are you listening to? What voices have your ear? Because a lot of times the voices that have our ear, and maybe you're in a tough situation right now, and you just ask yourself, who am I listening to, are not the right voices. Oh, they're well-meaning. But they're not the right voices to listen to. Even someone's voice like the pastor that you're listening to here on a Sunday morning. I'm very mindful of this. I have a powerful voice. You're listening to me, right? You're sitting underneath the teaching that uh, I'm trying to take apart for us today. Well, you need to be cautious of the messenger. Because sometimes the messenger can lead astray. And I work hard. That's why I took the time to read this book this last week. It's like, oh, let me, there's some discrepancies in the gospel and this and that. How do those things work their way out? Because there are voices in our life that can easily lead us astray. And that was what was happening in the crowd on that day. There were powerful voices, but the chief priest in verse 20 and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus and to have Jesus executed. You remember what happened? Jesus, after the supper, went to pray in the garden. In the garden, Judas had betrayed him. He was taken captive. He was led into multiple trials. A religious tribunal and then the secular tribunals. Pilate ends up having to make the decision. He's standing before them thinking, hey, it's a special Passover weekend. Who would you like to release? Here's this criminal Jesus. And they all started saying, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas. Barabbas was this known criminal. Repeat offender multiple times. He, not good guy. And they started declaring Barabbas. And they wanted Jesus. Crucify him. Crucify him. There were distorted truths. There were powerful voices. And then simply put, there's foolish choices. Why would you pick Barabbas? A known repeat criminal. And not Jesus? Sinless. Speaker of truth, compassion, comforter, a miracle worker. What is going on here? Well, we know there's stuff going on behind the scenes in the spiritual realm with the adversary seeking to disrupt God's perfect plan for the redemption of all mankind through Jesus. But what's happening is the Christian faith, or at that time this belief, the faith in who Jesus was, if he was the Messiah, was a nominal kind of belief because it was a crowd belief that was broadly supported, easily swayed, and it was easily swayed by distorted truths and powerful voices. Oh, they're an expert. We should listen to them. 
And that's just foolish choices. And before you know it, the crowd on Monday ends up being the crowd on Friday. And Jesus, who came into Jerusalem on a donkey with great fanfare, with palm uh, 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 branches and with cloaks and all this that was paving the red carpet, was now being drugged through a city, carrying his own cross, having been pulverized by the beatings and the crown placed on his head, being put up and crucified on a cross in front of everybody to see as the worst, the hideous of all criminals. How in the world did we go from Monday to Friday? Because it was a crowd movement. It wasn't a personal movement. Now here's the beautiful thing. There were some that were in the crowd on Monday. And that were also in the crowd on Friday. That were there on Easter Sunday. And were part of the eyewitnesses to the resurrected of Jesus Christ. And there was another crowd that happened 50 days later on the day of Pentecost. In that crowd, masses of people gathered. And the Spirit of God came down after Jesus had ascended to the heavens and struck across that crowd. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. There were people from each of those crowds, people that were in during each of those crowds that saw that whole scene. And you just have to step back and go, wow. Wow. Am I a participant in a crowd or has it become something personal to me? Have I moved from a consumer faith to a faith that's fully devoted to Jesus Christ? You know, in our Luke passage, I like that passage because you get some of the voice and the thoughts of Jesus. Some of the Pharisees among the crowd on that Palm Sunday said, Teacher, rebuke your followers for saying things like that. Hosanna's. Like, shut them down, Jesus. And he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones along the road will burst into cheers. But then as he got closer to Jerusalem and saw the city ahead, he began to weep. He said, how I wish today that you of all people would understand the way to peace. But now it is too late and peace is hidden from your eyes. He knew what was going to happen to Jerusalem He said, before long, your enemies will build ramparts against your walls and encircle you and close in on you from every side. They will crush you into the ground and your children with you. Your enemies will not leave a single stone in place. Because. And they didn't. Rome destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Took it captive in 70 A.D number of years after Christ. He was prophetic. He wept over the city. And this was going to happen. Why? Because you did not recognize it when God visited you. Have you recognized when the voice and the spirit of Jesus visits you and he says, I want your whole life. I want you to surrender to me came back across a website this week that was started by a PK, a preacher's kid, a few years back by the name of Kyle Eidelman. 
He's now a good communicator for Christ, but he started this website simply called Not a Fan. Not a Fan. And he describes in there about how he had Jesus sort of as one of his celebrities right beside his Michael Jordan poster growing up. But how God brought conviction to him about have I really come to a place of surrendering my life and my all to the Lord. You see, there were a lot of fans in the crowd getting the mementos and, hey, I got the cloak, got the coat that he walked on. But Friday came. If you're just a part of the crowd, if you're just a fan, you give broad support, but you're easily swayed. A fair weather fan, they call them, right? And Kyle, you can go to it, not a fan website, and it just simply ends, not a fan, completely committed follower. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, here this morning, I pray across this room and online, if there are individuals who are struggling with understanding why their broadly supported Christian faith has failed them, may your spirit speak to them related to this issue of whether they're just a fan in the crowd or if they've really come to be a completely committed follower of you. And this morning, maybe later today, maybe this week of Passion Week, may they bend their knee afresh and new and surrender their life 110% so that they, too, can be a genuine, deep follower of yours through thick or thin and not be so easily swayed, whether it's by distorted truths, powerful voices, or foolish choices, may they be able to walk a faith that stands the test of time, one that's deep, growing, and vibrant. And may they be found fully alive in you, Christ, and to your mission, not their own. So, Lord, across this room and online, Lord, may your spirit minister and speak and bring encouragement to anyone that would be. And, Lord, may they come to place their faith deeper into you this week in your name amen the worship team is going to come and we're going to sing out a song the ushers can take their places with the baskets for the lord's tithes and offerings but if you want prayer this morning there's a prayer area up front over here to your right someone would be glad to pray with you concerning maybe a challenge that you're going through maybe a place of commitment and surrender that you need to make a fresh and anew. Maybe you'd like to commit your life to Christ for the first time. We want to pray with you and encourage you in that. But as the ushers sort of grab the baskets and take their places to pass them, um, I encourage you to give of your offering. But more importantly, I pray that you would give of your worship and praise to the Lord right now as we sing to him. When we were gathered as worship team this morning and we were thinking in light of Palm Sunday and all that was special about the event this day, talking about the crowds, we reflected briefly on this thought that those of us that are in this room, we were not a part of Palm Sunday. We weren't there. We just read about it. But there's the second coming of Jesus Christ. As recorded in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, 
The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a mighty shout and with the soul-stirring cry of the archangel and the great trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first to meet the Lord. Then we who are alive will be caught up with them to meet the Lord in the air and so be with him forever. It's actually a visualization of the second return of Jesus Christ, the coming of Christ, because when he comes the second time, he comes on a horse. And he comes to establish his visible eternal reign with a new heaven and a new earth. We weren't there for Palm Sunday. But whether a loved one who's passed before and those who were part of that crowd that cheered for him and then got it right later, the dead in Christ will rise first to meet the Lord. We will be all caught up together to be able to usher in his second coming. And the Lord Jesus Christ will receive our glory and honor and praise on that day as surely as on this day. And you will get to be a part of that. Hosannas. Save us now, Lord. I want to invite you to stand. And as you stand, I want to encourage you to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords on this Palm Sunday. And take your worship fervor today and carry it through the whole week. Carry it through the week in commemoration. Be back here for Good Friday service at 7 p.m. And though that's sort of a hard, tough service, we commemorate the death of Christ. Being a part of that service springs us then to celebrate on Easter Sunday morning. This is the storyline that's not fiction. It's truth. We are a part of the body of Christ if we're followers of Jesus this morning. Will you take these moments, thank him, worship him, declare hosannas to him. Let's worship our Lord Jesus.
the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus himself to worship him this special week. And as you go, may you also go in prayerful spirit to go into the highways and the byways of life to compel others to come to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ for Easter. God bless you. Enjoy this special Passion Week. The Lord Jesus is near. He loves you.